Welcome to Where I Come From, a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatlin, and this week's guest is Kwong Delani, founder of the Omaha Talents Academy and a leader in Omaha's South Sudanese community. We talked about his childhood in an African refugee camp, the challenge of assimilating to America, the drive that made him Omaha's first Sudanese basketball standout, and the inferiority complex that squeezes his community. You know, even though you knew life was going to get better, you know, it was the feeling that, that all of this, you know, everything that you knew is completely gone. It was the first time where I began to come face to face with a lot of realities of just the world, you know, people. If things keep going the way that they're going right now, you can almost calculate within our lifetime when we're going to be extinct because we're killing each other off. The way that we've been defined and labeled, you know, is something that we definitely got to get away from, man. And we got to get to the point where we realize that everybody's just people. You know, it's not really about where you come from, it's about what you do with it. This is where I come from. By the time I was three years old, the world was already crazy enough and life was already hard enough, you know, that I hated it. You know, I want no, I wanted no parts of it. You know, obviously enjoy the things that you enjoy, but just the world as it is, I knew something was really, really wrong. I could feel it. So I remember, you know, holding my little brother uh, and I just remember this, 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 this emotion of, of almost rage, you know, just coming over me, um, you know, and I remember being really, really upset at my, at my father, um, at that moment, just because, you know, I felt, you know, even at three years old, I felt like it was really selfish to bring a kid into that world. Um, and I remember approaching my dad, you know, about it, you know, in a way that, you know, in our culture, you just, you don't do things like that, especially as a kid, you know, to your parents. Um, and the way that he responded kind of pointed me, you know, in the direction that I am right now, you know, to where that, that was probably one of the most important moments of my life. What did he say? Uh, I mean, he just, he, he shared a Bible verse with me. Uh, it was Jeremiah 29, 11 was what it was. Um, and it was pretty much, you know, just the fact that, I mean, even though nothing makes sense, that, that there's a plan. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's the launching point for this episode of Where I Come From, and it's not an easy one. I'm a white kid from small town Nebraska. Kwong Delani is a black kid from an African refugee camp. We couldn't have grown up more differently. And as a result, this is a hard conversation. Hard for him to share who he is. Hard for me to understand what he means. Be patient with us. By the end, I learn a lot about Kwong, about the Sudanese community in Omaha, about the refugee experience. I think you'll learn a lot too, but it's going to take some time. You're 27 years old. You have a huge imprint in Omaha. What, what do you do? Um, right now, I'm the executive director and the founder of the Omaha Talents Academy. Um, and, I mean, a lot of what I do is community work, you know, community outreach, you know, and I work with, with young people. And, you know, and, and really the biggest point is just building our community, you know, the Sudanese presence here in Omaha. And you do this in uh, your outreach encompasses what, what kinds of things? Uh, I mean, mostly education, you know, mentorship, 
Um, you know, right now we're getting into things like healthy food access. Um, and really a lot of that comes together around basketball. You know, I think that that's, that's the, you know, basketball is kind of the tool that, 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 that makes it go uh, and kind of bring all the guys in one place and under one roof. So basketball, basketball attracts the kids. Yeah. And you yeah. sort of, once they get there, then you can influence them and, and help them in different ways. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think you know, basketball is something that's, that's you know, it's becoming a, a key culture thing for us. You know, it's becoming something that, I mean, I would say close to 99%, you know, Sudanese kids in the Omaha community here are playing basketball every single day. Um, and it's putting us in a position where, you know, we can, we can use it, you know, as a tool for, for development uh, and, and all these different things. So, can you give me an example uh, of of what you're doing for kids? You know, aside from just teaching basketball fundamentals. Yeah. Um. You know. Well. You know. A lot of it is really in a place like America. You know, when you have a refugee community like like ours that's so new. You know, where you have, you know, parents that are, um, you know, when you say just just assimilating. You know, some of those 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 learning curves can be tough when you're already ingrained in a different way of life, um, if that makes sense. You know, so a lot of these kids, they're growing up, but there's a, a huge gap between the culture that they're growing up in um, and, and really what it takes to be successful here in America, you know, and, and kind of what they're used to at home. So there's a wide gap between, um, you know, the support system that it takes for the kid to be successful, you know, family just being involved, you know, where there's education, um, I think I, I would say, I mean, a lot of guys, if, if you look at the basketball community, you don't see too many Sudanese parents um, at a lot of the games, you know, even though a lot of kids are playing, you know. So it's being able to fill really a lot of the gaps that, that, that nobody's able to fill if, if the parents aren't in the picture. There's a cultural gap between the way they're raised yeah. and what it takes to succeed in America. Yeah. Can, can, you, can you break it down even for, farther for me and, and explain What's an example of that? Man, there, there, there's so many different layers, right? Um, you know, to where, you know, I mean, a good example would be, you know, right now, um, you know, I, I, I have, I'm in communication with just about every, every, every school within the OPS school d district. Um, and a lot of what it is, I mean, you get kids in situations where, you know, academically, you know, there are some challenges that might be going on. You know, and things like parent-teacher conference, you know, where, you know, they're, they're, there's, you know, the kid might be trying to do, you know, their, their best within the school, you know, but there's something going on outside of school that's, that's making it harder for them to, um, you know, I mean, essentially, I mean, things like showing up to, to, to a conference with a kid, you know, and making sure that they're able to follow through once they get home and some of the things that it needs for them to be, to be successful. Why is the basketball, you said 99% of kids. Yeah are playing basketball every day. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty striking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? Uh, I mean, I wish I had the answer. You know, I, I would just say that, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, a lot of these kids, even myself, when I was, I mean, it's something that we just have a, a lot of love for, you know, and I think a lot of it, it's, it's you know, basketball is a big American culture thing, you know, where, where the fact that basketball is such a, culture, you know, becoming a global phenomenon, I think has a lot to do with it. 
Uh, and then I think a lot of it is the brotherhood. You know, the fact that when you do go on the court, it's not just you. You know, you got, you know, 10, you know, 20, 30 other guys just like you with the same story that you can you can go up against, you know, you can play against. So I think the competition aspect is, is something that's really fun. It's something that's really, you know, it's, it's something that we look forward to, you know, every single day to go up against each other. Yeah. How much time are you, 15, about 15,000 Sudanese refugees in Omaha, is that right? Uh, estimate. Estimate. Yeah, estimate. The, the, you know, the real number is unknown. You know, hopefully we can do a population study down the line. Um, get a clear idea how many is here because I mean, Omaha is you know it's it's an important place to to us you know not just for 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 us growing up American you know but even for South Sudan the continent back home you know it's 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 the one place that we have a community this large that's actually growing up American you know that has a chance to assimilate and become what makes America America you know. Um, and that means, you know, I mean, it, it puts us in a position where there's a lot of stuff back home that we can eventually, you know, at least have a chance to be able to solve um, because of, you know, what's, what's being put in place here. So you think having a pocket this large yeah. uh, that's assimilating into American culture, yeah. uh, that that will eventually pay off back home? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's, it's, it already is. You know, it already is. Um, you know, South Sudan is the world newest country. 2011 is when it became a nation. And a lot of, you know, their human resource right now that they're dependent on is coming out of, you know, a lot of the people that came here, a lot of Omaha guys, you know, that, that were able to get educated, you know, went back home. So Who are those people and what are they doing? Uh, I mean, a lot of them are in government offices. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, it'll be hard to, to, to come up with a list and name off top. Uh, but there, but there's definitely a lot of a lot of guys from the Omaha community that are out there. Do you want to go back? I mean, eventually. But I mean, I, I think I mean I think I'm 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 here. You know, I think this is where my life is. But I mean, I do see, you know, myself better. Maybe not living, but involved. You know, in, in, at some capacity. You were uh, you were born there. Yeah. You basically you were born uh, in the in the midst of intense civil war yeah um in about what 1989 1989 when i was born yeah uh, i mean I, I grew up with both parents um so I, I was born in 89 and by 91 we were already in a refugee camp um so you know i kind of skipped out on all the fighting uh, and all the violence I, I didn't see any of that uh and really a lot of my memories of africa were from this refugee camp, you know, so we stayed there from '91 uh, until '99 when we took off for America. And it was in Ethiopia. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and fortunately, you know, I'm 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 blessed enough to where you know both parents, you know, always been in my life. Um, all my siblings, you know, always been in my life, and 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 Omaha is home for all of us right now. So, you, uh, what do you remember about the refugee camp? What do I remember? Yeah, describe it. Uh, I mean, you 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 remember a lot by nine years old, man. Uh, I mean, you you get a book of experiences. You know, I think for me um, was just the fact that you know. I mean, you're talking about you know. So you have the camp, you know, which is you know village style. You know, if you can kind of picture that in your mind. Um, so you know, maybe a hundred thousand people. You know, in 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 a, in a you know, in, in, in one setting. And then throughout, 
Um, you're talking about, you know, areas that really haven't been, you know, not too many people have really walked in um, that are still very, very natural. You know, people haven't messed with it a lot. Um, and that's how I spend a lot of my time, you know. So, I mean, you can, you can, you know, get up and, you know, you can walk in any direction in this camp, you know, and you'll see some things, man, that, 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 that not too many people, you know, to this day, you know, even as an adult, I can say that, you know, probably not too many adults have had the experiences, you know, seeing the things that I have, you like know, what? because of, you know, I mean, things like, like, you know, you'll, you'll come across a, a, a waterfall, you know, and a stream of water that's just flown for days, you know, or, or, you know, mount, mountains, you know, and trees, you know, and all kind of animals, you know, and I mean, things that are, you know, I like nature, you know, I love nature, you know, and, and there's just something about nature that, you know, it, it takes your breath away, you know, and there's a beauty about it, you know, and, and, you know, a level of, you know, I guess majesty. For me, you know, that, 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 you know, being able to do that and having that freedom put me in a space where a lot of the stuff that were going on, you know, things that my family were going through, you know, friends were going through, you know, and things that just the world as I know it, you know, what it was like, you know, it kind of sheltered me away from that. Um, so yeah, you know, I did spend quite a bit of time by myself. Were so. you were you aware? How were you aware of what was going on back in Sudan? I mean, you're in this refugee camp in Ethiopia for eight years. Yeah. Uh, what was your understanding of what was happening? Um. Well, I mean, I, I think it has made more sense over the years, you know. But I mean. You know, it, it's it's pretty obvious, you know, to where I mean, people talk about it. Um, you would I hear, would say you, you would hear stories back there too. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's not, you know, I mean, it's it's we were right on the Ethiopian and South Sudanese border, you know, to where we wasn't far. You know, we were still. I mean, it was still the same world, you know, where people were can travel back and forth, you know, and and we have families, you know, that were still. I mean, these were where the conflicts and things were were our homes. You know, to where everybody didn't just get up and leave. You know, it was more so just the, the kids, you know, and, and, and the mothers and things like that. So your uh, father was back there? Yeah. Uh, he went back and forth a lot. Um, and, yeah, you know, so, I mean, and, and then not only that, I mean, you just knew that, you know, I mean, you're talking about a a, 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 a way of life that's been the same since the beginning of, of time, right? And all of a sudden, everything is uprooted. You know, you find yourself in the middle of this refugee camp. You know, where the only way that you can really survive it's it's by what the United Nations is, is giving you, what what somebody else is able to give you. You know, this was your only means of survival. You know, and at this point, you know, it, it's it's everything that happens is completely out of your hands. You know, you're solely dependent on variables that you can't even foresee for your own survival. You know. Even as a kid, man, I mean, you, you, you know when, 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 you know, something doesn't make sense. Have you talked to your parents about what it was like from their perspective? I mean, it's, it's one thing when you're seven years old, you know, but it's different when you grow up, you know, grow up and raise a family and suddenly you're, uh, yeah. you're in the middle of a, yeah. of a civil war. What was it? Well, you, you have to keep in mind, like, you know, even though that was a long time ago, uh, 
that story is still continuous. It's still affecting us to this day. You know, we're still, we're still, in a way, if you would say, we're still living it out. We're still transitioning out of that. You know, and this is my life. You know, so even just outside of my parents, we have an entire community of, you know, I think a hundred over a hundred thousand people were sent to the United States from these experiences that I'm telling you right now. Uh, and most of them just happened to end up in Omaha, you know, and, and this is what I do, you know, so outside of just talking to my parents, you know, I get a lot of different perspective, um, you know, and, and I try to learn from, you know, just about everybody, you know, but especially some of the oldest people, you know, within our community right now. What are your most vivid memories? Like, what do you, like specifically when you think of that time in your life, yeah. What do you What do you see? <laughs> Man, um, I mean, you you see a lot, man. You know, you see a lot. It's it's. You know, I I, I think kids are a lot smarter than than, you know, than people tend to give them for, um, and I have a really good memory. My memory is very vivid. You know, to where you see a lot. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm still in a phase where, you know, a lot of those experiences are somewhat personal, you know, to me, you know, to where I'm still in a phase where, you know, that's the part of me that I'm still catching up with, you know, if that makes sense, you know, and because a lot of those experiences, man, even to this day, you know, it, it's always been a challenge, you know, for me in America, for me to be in a place where I can, I can, I can be myself, you know, if that makes sense, and I can express, you know, and I can, I can, you know, be able to, to, to openly share, you know, so I would say, man, like, a lot of those experiences are, are personal, it's always been hard for me to, to, to be open, man, and be vocal, you know, because certain things give a certain picture, you know, that I feel like it, it doesn't give people the chance to see me for who I am, you know, to see our community for who we are, you know, and it really doesn't give us the chance to transition out of that you know because the biggest thing for us man is to finally be in a position where you know we can have a chance to make the world what it can really be to us if that makes sense so you think that if if your identity is too much about where you came from that it makes it more difficult to transition uh, i mean in a way i'm not i'm not yeah yeah no no it's uh no, and you're, you're on the same path. It's, it's hard to explain, man. It's not really about if our identity is about where we come from. It's more so about, you know, when you really look at the bigger picture of where we come from and what that story has been throughout my entire life and even before then, what it is to this day. You know, you're talking about a, a very, very vulnerable storyline. You know, you're talking about a very broken history, man, a broken people, you know, that, I mean, we've been, we've been, you know, the world has been a, a challenging place for us, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, and we get impressions from just everything in society, man, as far as just, as far as just feeding us this mindset, you know, of, 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 of vulnerability. It's getting to the point where we're tired of the world feeding us that, if that makes sense at all. That's interesting. I hadn't. I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't considered that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, when you talk about, I mean, even if we can talk about the word refugee itself, you know, the word refugee itself. I've been a refugee my whole life. 
you know, and when you think about that word and you really break that word down, you know, I mean, what are, what are, you know, some things that come with that? What comes to mind? Poverty. Yeah. Poverty. Helplessness. Helplessness. Yeah. Um, obviously foreign. Yeah. 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 And, you know, these are things, these are concepts, and these are things that, you know, even just outside of the word refugees, you know, you can feel that being fed to you in just about every area. When you're in school, you know, because of some of these labels and because of some of these stories, because of some of these things that we go through, you can feel like that's what, as far as, far as that's, that's who it's supposed to be, that's how things are supposed to be forever. You know, now, you know, if you really look at the word refugee and when you look at our story, you know, some of the things that we're going through and some of the things that we're finally getting the chance to overcome, you know, I mean, I, I see no different from the word immigrant, you know, or the word, you know, pioneer, you know, to go to extent. You know, I see no different from the challenges that every single immigrant community, you know, that came to the U.S. throughout the, the history of this country. You know, I see no different from a lot of the hurdles and challenges that a lot of these communities had to go through. You know, and, and you know, even things like, I mean, just, just, you know, I guess just the biggest thing that we have going on right now is the fact that, you know, we have a much better welfare system, you know, where there's a lot of support available. You know, but when it comes to, you know, being in a position to where now you finally got the chance to where you can go towards your American dream, you know, and, and own your version of, of what this great country represented, has always represented, we're finally in that position. How does it inhibit progress, though? This is this is where, because I haven't lived your experience, yeah. and because I am I grew up here, yeah. this is harder for me to understand. Okay? Yeah. And I, I'll admit that. Yeah. How does the perception of refugee, yeah. how does that impact your ability to, to create change or progress. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Is it well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm getting to, as far as just me personally, you know, I'm, I'm getting to my place where there's a level of transcending, you know, a lot of that. But as a community, you know, and, and it's when you're being defined, you know, everywhere you're going, you know, when you're deemed being defined as, as, as almost less than what you know you're capable of, even though it's not, it's not, it's not intentional, you know, treatment, but you know, like in the back of the mind, this is how people really see you. They tend to put you in a box and it's almost like you tend to be underestimated and depending on who you is as a person, depending on your level of will, you know, a lot of times these impressions can come to you where you can you can actually accept that we're we're social beings. You know, we want to fit in. You know, we want to be a part of the world that we live in. You know, everybody. We all crave to be appreciated and valued. You know, and when you live in a world where, you know, everything that you just said that comes with being a refugee. You know, and then when you look at the bigger picture of, you know, refugees from the African continent. You know that you're talking about the the the. the the, the darkest complexion, you know, probably on this planet. You know, you're talking about, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, just kind of where the world is right now, 21st century, there's a lot of things that we don't have yet. You know, there's a lot of development that still has to happen. You know, when it comes to things like, like, you know, money, you know, which is pretty much how, you know, everything is judged in the world that we live in now. We don't have a lot of that. 
you know, so so you take, you know, so so everything that we're supposed to be in, or everything that the world takes as as valuable, you know, is, is almost the exact opposite of who we are and what we have visibly, if that makes sense, you know, but we know ourselves on the inside, you know, and we know that we just haven't been in a position where we can live in a world where we can be ourselves. Does it create a self fulfilling prophecy, where? Where if you grow up with that mindset, that you sort of only rise to the standard that's been set. In a way, yeah, it, it sets a it sets a a certain level of expectations. Yeah, it does. It, and you it, don't it, you don't like that low expectation. Yeah, it creates a you know really what 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 our vision is and what we're trying to do is we we're trying to recreate culture for ourselves. We're trying to redefine what that means for us. You know, which means you know beliefs, you know, and expectations and habits, you know, and things like that. Um. And that's exactly it, you know. And you know, when when you talk about perception, you know, it's it's, you know, a lot of it really has nothing to do with, you know. And that's why I, I like to keep a lot of my stuff personal, just because I feel like, you know, they really don't belong, you know, with 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 where my life is now. Where I'm not gonna say they really don't belong, but they have a certain place, you know, to where it's not really about you know, trying to prove anything to anybody else, but it's about you being in a space where you can do what you have to do, you know, and get to where you can be who you are, you know, and, and do all the things that, you know, God has blessed you to be able to do so people can see it. At this point in the conversation, if you're like me, you're a little frustrated that Kwong isn't being a little bit more specific with what he means. Maybe that I'm not asking the right questions. I promise you'll find more clarity later in the episode. Your whole family came over in 99? Yeah. Do you remember leaving the camp? Like, how did that happen? Um, I do. Uh, I mean, it was like a dream. It was like a dream. Um, it happened really fast. And, you know, I mean, it, it was, you know, you, you really don't know where you was where you was really going and what it all meant. How did uh, you find out you were leaving? Uh, through my dad. My dad was the one that, 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 that told us that he, well, he told us that he had us registered, you know, for through a UN program that was that was taking people out of the camp. Uh, and then our name was just posted, you know. So I was coming back from school one day, uh, and pretty much everybody I saw was coming to me and telling me that I was leaving, you know, congratulations, you know, things like that. So uh, it, was a, it was a feeling of joy? Yeah, uh, it was both. It was both, you know, it was, it was a feeling of joy and, and, you know, a lot of sadness as well. Because um, you, you, know, you had people that you'd grown up with. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and for us, you know, you know, our values are not as materialistic, you know, and, and that's part of the reason why our culture does, you know, visibly, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't have. You know, our values are you know, relationships, you know, people, you know, and, and togetherness, you know, and things like that, you know, to where, especially at that time, um, you know, a place like America sound really, really far, or it was really, really far, you know, to where, you know, just, I mean, just imagine that, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I mean, imagine, you know, just that, that barrier of life and death, you know, if that makes sense, you know, to where it, it was the image of you're going to a place that you're never coming back from was the feeling, you know, even though you knew life was going to get better, you know, it was the feeling that, that all of this, you know, everything that you knew is completely gone. How did you get to New York City? 
Uh, so we went we went from from the refugee camp to the capital city of Ethiopia uh, called Addis Ababa, and then from there they got a big international airport. Uh, then from there we we boarded there and went to New York. We stayed in New York City for about three hours, and then we flew to Rochester. What was that like, though? I mean, you're getting off that plane. Ah <laughs> uh, man, it, it's 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 actually a really cool experience, man. Thinking back about it, uh, but I mean, you're talking about you know, being a baby again at nine years old, you know, so everything, it's, it's, everything is completely new, you know, to where you're learning everything from, from, from the ground up. Uh, and none of the things that you have can, can really transition, you know? So, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, everything, man, from, you know, from the senses, from what you're seeing, you know, to what you're hearing, to what you're, you're I mean, everything was just, completely new and people were different, you know, people were a lot different. Uh, but I think, you know, it was really cool just, uh, just, uh, just uh, how big, you know, cities really are and how many people, you know, can really live in one place. Um, You've never experienced that? No, no. You know, even being able to walk into a running bathroom, you know, being able to you know, I remember seeing a kid skate, you know, for the first time, you know, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Like a roller skate? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, you're talking about literally just, just, you know, everything was foreign to us and everything was, you know, it's, it's, you know, so, so the way that our mind worked, you know, when I say we think different, you know, we're very we're, we're much more towards like the, the, the side of like poetry, you know, and things like that and the arts, you know, and things like that to where, you know, if you look at the brain, there's two hemispheres, you know, one side is logical, you know, where it can calculate and break things down. You know, the other side will be intuition, you know, and it will be the arts of poetry and, you know, chaotic and things like that. That's how we tend to think and that's how we tend to look at the world, you know, so a lot of the mechanical advances, you know, a lot of the, the, you know, just the different things that logic can, can, can put in front of us were things that, I mean, a computer, you know, I mean, a, a, a refrigerator, I mean, all these things were just so new, you know, so fascinating. We're figuring it out, man, but it, it's definitely something that, you know, a lot of it feels like it wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, it's so different, you know, and it's almost like you're mixing hot and cold um, together, you know, or, or oil and water or whatever, you know, but you're mis mixing two very different things, you know, and, and we're finally getting to a place where it feels like we're finally figuring it out, you know, we're making it work. You spent a couple months in Rochester? Uh, yeah, so June 19th we got to Rochester and then by January we came, we came to Omaha. Six months and then to Omaha. Yeah. Uh, into the housing projects, South Omaha or what? Uh, yeah, that's where I live. But we, we, before we got there, we were staying with the aunt, uh, okay. over at, right by Creighton University. There, there were, there's a, there's three apartment buildings there that were, at that time, from 2000 and 2005, they were probably all Sudanese refugees. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is where, yeah, right, right, right in front of the tech building, the OPS tech building. What was your, uh, what was your elementary school? Um... I went to Indian Hills Elementary, right, right at the South Omaha Projects. What was that transition like? 
my wife teaches ESL. She teaches it. She teaches refugees and immigrants. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's really difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. It, it is. It was. It was definitely tough. Um, you know, and a lot of it was just the, the just the, the social environment. You know that 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 school can be nowadays. Um, For instance, what do you mean? I mean, kids can be cruel, man. You know, just the social environment uh, and being able to fit in, you know, and things like that. You know, being able to 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 learn, <laughs> you know, being in an environment where you can actually learn, um, you know, and those things within there. It, it was almost like we got to, you know, and it started right away in elementary school, but it, it went throughout high school, you know. And even to this day, it, it, it's almost like schools became the complete opposite of what they're supposed to be. You know, you go in there to learn, you know, but but your battle and your focus become other things, you know, instead of being able to be there for what what, what you're supposed your to. Your focus is entirely social, you mean, instead of intellectual? No, it, it forces you to, but 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 it's almost like it's almost like you got to fight to learn. You know, you gotta you gotta work hard to be to be to be in a space where you can actually learn. Is is what I would say. You know, to where right now, man. I mean, a lot of a lot of our school system here in Omaha, it's 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 difficult. You know, it's it's. I mean, even if you just look at the numbers, it's it's really hard. Kids are not getting what they're supposed to get. And a lot of it, it's not on the kid. You know, a lot of it is it's the it's the actual environment itself. You know, if that makes sense. You know, <laughs> so I mean, I, I don't know where they are now, but I knew, you know, when when we got into school. Um, you know, it was something completely unexpected. You know, it wasn't it wasn't what we thought it was going to be or it was supposed to be. You faced cruelty. Um. In a way, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I, I I get that that's that that's that's just how it is. You know, that's just how kids are. You know, I get that. Basketball was was a turning point for you. Yeah, uh, basketball was where I felt like I found a lot of peace. You know, I found a lot of, you know, basketball was where I felt like I can I can be myself. How you did know? you find basketball? Did you play it growing up in Sudan? South no, Sudan? no. Um, no experience with it growing up. No experience with it, but by the time I got here, there was already, it was already something kids in our neighborhood was already doing, in our community was already doing. So, you know, I remember the first time I went to the South Omaha YMCA, you know, and and you know for for a few weeks. I would go in there and I would be kicking around the soccer ball, you know, the whole time. And uh, nobody would play with me, you know, because everybody would be busy, you know, going up and down playing playing basketball. Um, and, and really that's just how it started, you know, just, just wanted to play with the rest of the guys. Um, and then eventually got better and better, you know, and I guess the, I think the better you get at anything, you know, the more the more you want to do it. You know, I got into high school right around the time where YouTube was some, becoming something that, you know, people were having access to. Uh, I mean, and I spend just about every single, every chance I get, you know, looking up YouTube videos of, of different shooting forms and different, just different basketball things, you know, and drills. So Pulaski Park was your, that was your stomping ground, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we moved around quite a bit, but by the time I got to high school, Pulaski Park was, was where it's at. I got really into it because I can feel the development every single stage, you know, so I would say right around... You know, I think the first time that I tried out for the basketball team was, was seventh grade, Bryant Middle. Um, you know, and I wasn't very good, you know, as a seventh grader, but I just remember, 
you know, just just how much I really, really wanted to make the team. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. You know, like that whole week. Um, you know, I couldn't sleep the night of. Um, and I was able to make B team. You know, and and for me, you know, that that was it. From there, it was just like like just leaps and bounds. You know, every single summer. You know, I felt like, you know, I felt my game. You know, get to where I needed to be every single stage. Um, but I would say that. Um, when I got to Bryan, you know, I went to Burke for two years, and then I went to Bryan going into my junior year. Uh, played four games my junior year, and then I got hurt. Um, and I think it was that transition of, of just kind of what I went through, you know, during that rehab, um, and a lot of the personal time that I got to, I got to have on the sideline, and then that transition of, of that whole summer, um, and, and a lot of what Coach, Coach Cannon um, was able to, to, to allow me to, you know, have access to as far as training, you know, and then and then even just personalizing a lot of coaching, you know, and different things like that. He kind of took you under his wing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Coach Cannon is very, I mean, to this day, very influential in my life. Um, yeah, you know, and, and I mean, he, he, he definitely recognized that basketball was something that I was invested in, you know, beyond just, you know, what it was at that moment. It, it it's hard to believe now when yeah. you when you look at, out at the high school gymnasiums in Omaha and see all the Sudanese kids. Yeah. But at that time, yeah, you were about the first one, one of the first ones. Yeah, there there was a few other guys. Uh, Day Day played at Burke uh, was really good. I think he played in one of their 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 their, their few state tournament teams under under Grainer. Um, and then there was a guy named Decoy Lul who played at, uh, at South High. Uh, but, you know, the one thing that I would say, I was one of the first guys to play high school basketball, you know, but, you know, when school ends, you know, and I go back home, we were playing basketball all, all the time. And there was a lot of guys that they never got the chance to play high school basketball, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're I mean, to this day, some of the best players I've ever played against. Was it hard being one of the first ones you were knocking down a cultural barrier in some ways you know yeah at least for your community yeah well I mean the, the biggest challenge is just you know the fact that you know you're you're learning every step of the way it really hasn't been done before you know or at least in your shoes I remember you know I mean just 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 the days being so long you know because you go from you know from school you know to practice or from, from, yeah, from school, you know, to a lot of time lifting weights, you know, to practice, you know, and a lot of times I had to, I had to ride the school bus home, um, you know, so there'll be times where, you know, I would get home at, at, at 10 p.m., you know, at times, and, you know, the only thing that I ate the whole day is, is the, the school lunch, you know, some people, I mean, we know how those goes, you know, so, so just the demand that, 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 that basketball take, you know, the time commitment on uh, the fact that you're always gone, you know, not home. And then not having, you know, money, you know, or anything to be able to grab something, you know, pick up a little bit of snack, you know, just to to have the energy to, to be able to play at your, at your best, you know, and different things like that. Were your mom and dad, were they working the packing house or what? Yeah. They, both, they, they, both they were both working at Tyson, yeah. Um, here or somewhere else? Uh, here. Here. They, 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 they were both working at Tyson, but it, it, it's one of those things, man, where – you know, it's, it's, you know, me going outside to be a basketball player, you know, that's almost like, like, like leisure, you know, that's almost like, 
you know, this is something fun. You know, where where there's other things that are a bit more urgent and a bit more. They didn't have money for your for your shoes. Yeah, yeah. Way. I mean, they, and they really wasn't even in a space to where they can really understand. And I didn't even get it. You know, I just knew that this is something that I really wanted to do. You know, and I was gonna do whatever I can to do it. You know, so it's it's you know I mean and, and even and and, they, and my parents knew it. You know, they they supported how they can. You know, but it's it's. You know, it, it's one of those things, man, where it was a decision that I made for myself. You know, it really wasn't for for anybody else. Did know? they go, did, were they able to go to games and see you see you play or not? No, no. Um, because they were working, or because it would just wasn't on their radar screen. Uh, they were working. Uh, they were working, and then I mean, and then it's one of those things too, where like it's it's, you know. It's not really on their radar screen, you know, like it's not, you know, and that's a part of my life that I, I kept as, as as my life. You know, I really didn't bring it home with me. You know, obviously basketball was always something that I was doing, but I, everything that I was doing, I, I kind of kept it to myself, you know, Why? in many ways. Why? Just because, man, I mean, just because there was just so many other things going on, you know, that were bigger than me, you know. Because you have I five was, siblings? Yeah, you know, I had seven siblings. You know, yeah, you know, and then not only that, you know, a lot of our families, you know, that are back home are dependent on a lot of us here in America to, to feed them, you know, so a lot of people that got stuck in the camps, it's it's my mom paycheck that's being split between everybody. So she's sending money back home. Yeah, yeah, you know, and for me, I mean, it was just, you know, basketball was something that I chose, and, you know, you could say that I'm a pioneer, you know, just because a lot of guys in our community, you know, up to that point, they never had that choice. Even if you wanted to play basketball, you couldn't because you had to go work. Why didn't you have to go work? Because I had siblings. You know, I had, I had, you know, there there were seven of us. Um, I had a older, I had two older sisters and an older brother that they provided the support to my parents. You know, where I could be a kid. If so that you makes were, sense. You were lucky. I was lucky. Yeah. You know, I was really fortunate because of that. And a lot of guys my age, they weren't able to do that. You know, a lot of them were, you know, either either the oldest boy in their family, you know, or, you know, no dad or no mom, you know, or, or, or something where they had to compensate somewhere else. You know, they had to, 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 to support everybody else. And a lot of these guys, man, I mean, there were some incredible dudes that they just couldn't play. They just didn't have the time. You, know? you, you got a Division One scholarship. <clears throat> yeah. I'm guessing people in your community had no idea how significant that was. I mean, I would say people really, it was unexpected. Yeah. You know, people didn't really know how to respond. Uh, I mean, they definitely knew the significant. Uh, and my community, I mean, really is really, really supportive of me, uh, really, since I've been here. Um, you know, it, it was just it was just so new, you know. Um, and people just really didn't know how to respond. You know, really, what to expect? How did from you me. respond? Oh man, I In, mean, Indiana State. Yeah, I mean, it was something that I felt like I, I worked for. You know, I felt like I deserved it, and it set me up. You know, to 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 understand a lot of things. You know, just knowing that. You know, because at that time, man, I mean, it, it it was really hard. You know, when you talk about Division One basketball, even something like Creighton University. You know, as a kid growing up in Omaha at that time these things felt really far away from me. You know, it, it felt like it took something special, you know, some special gene or something to be able to be up there, you know, and on a level to play with some of these guys. So be able to, to, to say that you can have a goal 
you know, you can put your mind to it and work towards it, you know, and actually have a chance to make it real was something that opened up my world, you know, in, in a big way. And I think it made me a lot more, you know, I don't want to say hungry, you know, but but it but it, it made me it made me want to dream a lot more, man. It gives you the impression that that we can do incredible things, you know. So, really so you realized you accomplished something big, and yeah, you, and you sort of have a revelation that wow, if I can do that, yeah, I can do a lot more. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and and not only would I say that I accomplished something big, but just the way that I did it. You know, to where, I mean, this was, you know, a lot of it was me, you know, going out and, and, and finding a way, you know, to be able to get better. You know, gym access was something that was always hard. You know, you're talking about nutrition was something that was always hard. You know, training, you know, I, I, I trained myself, you know, and a bunch of guys, you know, that I was growing up with outside, you know, where a lot of times we would squat each other. You know, you're talking about... Wait, 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 wait. I mean, you're, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, it's it's... It's, it's gladiators, man. You know, you're talking about really, really wanting something. And, and, and there's really, at that time, there's really nowhere in Nebraska that, that, that I felt like, there was just really nowhere to go to get better, man. And I wanted to get better so bad. Oh, you I mean, said you are training other guys? Yeah. I mean, we were training each other, you know, and I was you training other guys. You and how many guys. guys? I mean, just about every single guy that you saw through the Bryan Pipeline, through the South High Pipeline, through, you know, what you're seeing with the talents is not something that's, that's, you know, it's just being formalized now, but but the essence of it is something that's been a part of our lives for a while. You know, so so you know, Duel Maya, you know, who's who who graduated from South High, and there's a guy named Reed Gix, um, who. So all of us were in the South Omaha projects, you know, at that time, or if not in South Omaha, surrounding, you know. And then a lot of us, like a Corey Gals, they were all at Sailor, you know, they were all down towards the Midtown area. You know, and a lot of times it's it's like gladiator culture, man, you know, where we competed on, you know, who's the fastest, you know, who can do the most push ups, you know, who can who can touch the rim first, you know, who can who's 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 gonna be able to dunk. So a lot of these things, you know, when we got to a position where we learned that you can actually like like, you know, the more you know, if you put a guy on your your back and you do squats, your legs are gonna get stronger. You know, when we learned that you're gonna jump higher just off doing that. I mean, it was something that we, we, we woke up and we did every day, you know. You put we, a guy on your back and do squats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, calf raises. Um, were you the oldest? Yeah, for the most part. So you were kind of leading it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we were creating the blueprint, man, and all the guys kind of, you know, they all, they all kind of, I mean, they, they all looked up to me and they all kind of did what I did. Um, you know, and this was in high school. Like you're in high school. Yeah, this was in high school. I mean, and even this is crazy stuff. And, and even before that, man. Like, I mean, going back to so, I had my first car when I was in eighth grade. You know, I think I was I was, I think I was fourteen at the time when I when I bought my first car. And this is a car that that I paid for. You know, and this was something. This was because how'd you have the money to buy a car? Man, uh, so we had a I had a paper route. You know that that I got, you know, with, with the intentions of being able to save money, so I can do something like that. You know, so I got a paper route. You know, from a paper route, I was able to get a a computer that had a, a disc burner. You know, so at that time, CDs were something that were, you know, that were pretty. You know, a lot of people wanted it. You know, so you know something that I shouldn't have did. You know, and it was illegal, but you can burn a CD. You know, you can get it out to guys for you know five dollars and so. You know, so paper route, you know, and then just doing different things like that to make money, 
uh, I was able to say, you know, by the time, you know, I remember there was one day, so the wine shed was closed and there was a gym on 36th and Q that we would walk to called Christie Heights Community Center. And I remember I was walking there and there was a car there for, for $800, you know, that was, that was sitting on the, on, on the street of Toyota Camry. Um, and I had the money, you know, and, and I mean, I pretty much thought, why not? You know, I was able to, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny now, but was able to convince my mom that I was old enough to drive. You know, she took my money, you know, went and purchased it for me. And then from that point on, man, it was, it was kind of that moment where now, you know, we can go anywhere that we wanted to. You know, now we can put, you know, seven guys in the car and we can go to, you know, different parks, you know, different places and we can, we can, we can really do basketball like we want to. We're not confined to just whatever we had access to around South Omaha. You didn't have a license. But no. You, but you're driving seven guys to <laughs> Pulaski Park. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it was stupid. You know, it was no, stupid. No, I'm, not, con- I'm just, not condemning you. I'm just... Uh, yeah. But it was one of those things where there was really no other choice. You know, that, that's just what we were going to do. Um, you know, and we spent a lot of time walking as kids. You know, I mean, we used to walk to, to Pulaski. You know, we there's times where we used to walk to, you know, from South Omaha all the way to... to you know, a place called Southgate, you know, which is in Bellevue, right outside of uh, the interstate on Chandler, you know, which is, I mean, it's, it's... A couple miles. Yeah, you know, it's a long walk, you know, so, you know, and then, and then I would say one of the great things that we did have, too, you know, at that time already was the fact that, you know, so I spent a lot of time with guys that were younger than me, you know, but I also spent a lot of time with a lot of guys that were much older than me. So wherever these guys were playing, I was always going to find a way to get there. You know, I was always going to find a way to play. So you'd hear, you'd hear they were playing somewhere. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I would walk, you know, a lot of times for a really long time until I got that car. You know, so so for me, that was that was really what pushed me to be better because I, I wanted to play with these guys. And then from going playing with those guys, now when I come, you know, hang around with a lot of the younger guys, you know, there was a lot that they can they can get away from me being around them. You know, and, and I can push them to be better. We can all push each other. So you were coaching. You were essentially coaching when you were in high school. In a way. I would say more so training. Uh, I would say a lot of what we focus on was just individual fundamentals, you know, and a lot of one-on-one stuff and not so much. You know, even right now, we're still getting to the stage where we want to – we got to do a better job of learning the game, you know, 505 as a team, you know, and things like what that. What was it like coming back? You're at Indiana State. Was McKenna the guy who recruited you? Yeah, that was actually the first time my, my family went out to watch me. First time? Yeah, the first time. Um, and I remember, I mean, hilarious. I remember the first huddle that we had, and I actually started that game. Um, we had a few we had a few injuries, but I remember the first huddle that we had. And uh, my dad gets up and literally gets on the court, you know, and takes the camera, and that literally gets on the huddle and, and, and try taking pictures. <laughs> um, and everybody just started cracking up, man. I mean, McKenna understood it. Uh, he, he, knew, he knew me pretty well. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, it was pretty cool, man. You know, I, I would say for me, too, like, you know, it's, it's you know, you, you take a lot of things for granted, you know, to where for me, like, it's, it's, you know, even though I grew up in Omaha, you know, a lot of my experiences have always just been the Sudanese portion of Omaha. You know, it's it's you know that's that's always been my little corner, and, and just that comfort to break out of that is something to this day that I'm still adjusting to. You know, so you know I think you take for granted, man, that that you know that I am an Omaha guy. You know, and this is home for me. 
you know, and, and, and Omaha is bigger than just my own little world, you know, to where you got all these people that, that know me, you know, that, 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 that do support me, that are following me. Um, you know, and, and, and it did mean a lot to be able to, to, to come back and play at home. Did you have a good college basketball experience? Um, I did not. Why? I did not. Um, I mean, to this day, one of to this day, one of the hardest experiences of my life. Uh, many different reasons, man. You know, college is, you know, it's the place where you know. I guess you 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 begin to step into your shoes as a man. Um, and then not only that, um, you know, college is a place, man, where you want to be in a place where, you know, you belong there. You know, and the people around you are kind of, you know, are kind of. After McKenna left, man, and then the state, uh, just just that whole experience, especially when it came to the people, became something really, really hard for me. Um, you know, and I just never felt like I was really a part of the team uh, from from that point on. You know, and and basketball was such an important piece of my life, you know, that not being able to really do my part the way that I feel that I can really contribute to a team. And not just, you know, not just on the court, but just being feeling like I'm a, I'm a part of, I'm a part of the circle, I'm a part of the group, I'm a part of the family. Not being able to get there, you know, and, and, and feeling that every single day was something that it made every area of my life really, really hard. Really? Yeah. It made, it made every area of my life really hard. Like what? I mean, just, just everything, man. You know, socially, you know, I shut down. Um, you know, even for my family, you know, I kind of shut down, you know, academically, you know, school, you know, in, in a lot of ways always became, it was always pretty easy for me. Uh, but, you know, the motivation in many ways went away. Um, and, you know, a lot of things became internal, man, you know, where, you know, you begin, it was the first time where I began to come face to face with a lot of realities of just the world, you know, people. You don't have a relationship, a strong relationship with your head coach. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You felt like an outcast. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like an outcast. Um, and a lot of it too, man. I mean, looking back, a lot of it was on me. Just because at that point, man, like I, I'm telling you when, when, you know, there was a lot of things that I was a fish out of water to. I had a hard time opening up, man, and a lot of it had the role from that. I was really reserved. I kept it myself. Kwong, is it is it is it too simple to say that in Omaha you had the Sudanese community? Yeah. And that was a comfort zone, and there was support system there. Yeah. And you had coaches at Bryan who were really invested in your success. Yeah. And suddenly you go somewhere where those three elements don't exist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the coaches didn't—they never—they no longer cared whether you succeeded or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, they would have preferred that. Yeah. You, well, not, you not, so they could go get somebody else, right? Right. 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 Yeah. It, it became. It became that. Uh, and a lot of the battles were, you know, it, it wasn't the basketball. You know, it, it, you know, it, the feeling that I got and a lot of the emotions that it made me feel, it, it made me feel like something was wrong with just my personality as a person, which is who I am. Um, what do you mean by that? Man, I, I don't know, man. My experience at Indiana State was, was really, really strange, and it's something that I'm still trying to piece together and come to grips with. You know, I mean, I, I remember there was one day where, you know, I think it was, it was, it was after the Purdue game, 
Um, what what year? This was this was my sophomore year, uh, my redshirt sophomore year. This was the year that we actually won the NBC and played in the tournament. Uh, it was after the Purdue game, um, and you know I think it was you know rebounding. You know, when it came down to rebounding was the biggest reason why we lost that game. I remember um, going to, to the coaches, you know, after after practice, I mean, after after the game, you know, and was just like, man, you know, what do I got to do? You know, whatever I got to do to, to, to be helpful, you know, what do I need to work on? You know, what are the, the different areas, you know, that I got to fix and this, this and that. You know, they were pretty much telling me it wasn't. There wasn't. It wasn't them really concerned about me working on the basketball stuff. Um, you know, they were saying. They told me that it was something wrong with my my personality. You know, at that moment. Um, and the way that I looked at it, man, and the biggest thing that that I knew that was hard was just the fact that, like, like, you know, I'm, I'm I was reserved. You know, at the time, and so much shy. You know, I didn't talk much. You know, but if you if you sat down and we talked one on one. You know, we're going to have a conversation, you know, just when we're out and stuff like that. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make a scene, you know, make a show. I'm going to be state of myself. Um, and, you know, from that, man, it, it just felt like, you know, and a lot of that just ties into the parts of my life that they don't know, man. The fact that my family isn't in school visiting me. You know, there, there was a lot of times where they made it obvious where they felt like it was because they didn't like me. Why don't, you know, why wouldn't my parents, you know, and things like that come out to see me? Why don't they come into games? You know, why aren't they, you know, involved in the programs, you know, like like rest of the other players, you know, and different things like that. Um, I don't know, man. That whole experience became something that was just, you know, to this day, you know, I mean, I, I, I wish I would have understood a lot of things about just people in general, you know, going into it. Um, you know, I, I think it would have been a lot better. What you know? did you What did you learn from it, man? Um, well, first of all, you know, basketball was, you know, the one thing that that has always moved my life forward. It was the one thing that always gave me a sense of direction. You know, as far as, you know, it always opens up just about every single door. You know, that I'm still walking to to this day. And it was always something that I always counted on, you know, as far as this long term. This is where my life was going. You know, like most college players this day, you know, we all think we're going to play NBA basketball, you know, or overseas or something. You know, so the first thing that's immediate, man, was, you know, when that foundation of me began to crumble, when that basketball foundation began to crumble, you know, and, and it was becoming harder, you know, for me to, to, to feel like I'm, 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 I'm growing, you know, towards where I really want to be. Uh, a lot of that, man, I mean, it puts you in a position where you question a lot of things about yourself, you know, just as a person. You know, and for me, I think that Indiana State experience made me realize, man, that the world is just is just bigger, you know, than, than, than what I was going for and what I was shooting for, you know, in the world that I saw, the basketball world that I was so consumed in. Uh, and I think going through that adversity it kind of it kind of unplugged me, man, from 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 that because it is a world that can't consume you. It kind of unplugged me from that, and it kind of reconnected me to just the reality of my, what my life really was, you know. Because being in the end in Indiana, man, and I was in school year round, you know, I came home, you know, a few weeks during the summertime, but I was in school year round, which means removed, you know, removed from my family, uh, and removed from just my life and my world. It was almost like it woke me up. You wanted to be. 
you wanted to come back. It woke me up to that. You know, and a lot of times in the country that we live in, you know, that making dream means, you know, being able to, to, to achieve your personal success and, and, and going and enjoying your life, you know, making your life what it is. You know, which means, you know, even if I would have went that route, I mean, I could have easily, you know, got my college degree. And by that time, you know, I, I saw the world for what it, would, it is, you know, the way I knew, you know, I could have went to a place like New York City, you know, and I, I could have went on a path to make a living for myself anywhere. You know, I knew I didn't have to come back to Omaha, but it's one of those things to where, you know, these experiences that are, are experiences that I was blessed with, you know, by circumstances that for the most part beyond my control. You know, if I go ahead and do that, you know, I'm going to be well, you know, but what does it really mean? You know, and then you, you, you begin to realize that, you know, a lot of things and a lot of people, you know, even a lot of kids like me, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I struggle with a lot of things because there wasn't anybody around me that already went through some of these steps that I was trying to go through. I had to figure it out on my own, you know, and, and you begin to realize, man, that a lot of our communities, you know, when you talk about a lot of the black communities here, you know, we struggle, you know, because when you do get those pioneers and they do accomplish their success, they're gone, you know, and nobody really gets to learn, you know, and take anything away from what they went through. Uh, and for me, you know, I think I pretty much just realized, man, that, you know, what I'm really passionate about and the reason why, you know, I was playing basketball, you know, and what I want my life to be about, it's about life for all of us, you know, as a whole, you know, and the world becoming an easier place all the way back to South Sudan, you know, and for us culturally, you know, to get to a place where, you know, we can make the world work for us a little bit finally, you know, and for people like my mom, you know, and some of these boys, mom, to be in a place where they can be a bit more secure, you know, and, and life can be a bit more joyful for them. You know, I realized that these were the things that I wanted my life to be about, you know, and these are the things that I wanted to live for, you know, and I didn't need basketball, you know, I needed to be around the people, you know, for, for that to, for, for me to be able to enjoy that, you know, and actually take those steps. Failure, failure in basketball reshaped your understanding of the American dream exactly exactly yeah yeah you know and and failure in basketball put me in a position man where I mean you have to keep in mind that you know you're talking about a nation of people you know you're talking about probably 12 million people worldwide you know that there's a lot of things that we're just crossing right now for the first time you sort of stumbled into the the idea of what you're doing now, right? Or, yeah. Or was it intentional? Um, no, I def definitely stumbled into it. Um, tell, me you what, know. tell me what happened. Yeah. Um, you know, at that time, I mean, I think I was in a space, man, where, you know, my life was just, you know, my life was, was in a way falling together. You know, so after Indiana State, um, a buddy of mine, his name is Jay Kelly, who I played with, was India. He was living in Indianapolis, and he was playing in the D League at the time. Um, and while he was playing in the D League, he was he was training with a guy named Ed Chilling, who was at UCLA last year, um, but he's over at Indiana right now. He's over at IU. Uh, and Ed Chilling at the time ran, it's called Champions Academy. Uh, and Champions Academy was where all the pre-draft guys, you know, they would come and they would work out and they would do all that stuff. Doug McDermott was there. Um, so... That summer after I graduated from Indiana State and I was figuring out, you know, what am I going to do next? You know, and I really didn't know, 
you know, I had no plans of, of, of going anywhere to play uh, until until I spoke to to Coach Henson, um, you know, and until I got a chance to visit, you know, come back home to Omaha. Um, so I went out to I, I went out there to Indianapolis, and um, you know, for the first time, you know, I was in a position where, you know, everything that I kind of needed was there, you know, for me to for me to to to, to develop as a basketball player. You know, and for me to, to, to just be focused, you know, to where, you know, we had an apartment, um, you know, we had a nice schedule, you know, where, you know, every single day we were, we were in the gym, you know, by 8 a.m. So you recommitted to playing. What was that? You recommitted after after Indiana State, you recommitted to trying to play. Well, well I knew I, I knew I was going to play. You know, I knew, you know, it, it's like it's like because you had one season left. I had one season left, so I was I was trying to figure out where where I was going to go play. You knew you were you knew you were going to play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I knew I was going to play. I wasn't I wasn't giving up basketball. Okay. You know, I just I just wanted a I wanted a chance where I, a place where I feel like I can have a better chance. You know, to play. Um, you know, so you know, so so we would get into this gym. You know, every single day at eight a.m. Um, we would work out. You know, for a whole hour we would do ball handling drills. You know, for another two hours, you know, so from 8 to 12, we'll be in the gym, you know, doing all kind of stuff. Uh, and then we will get off and then, you know, we will have a little bit of lunch. And then by 2 p.m., we were in the weight room lifting at, uh, uh, it was called St. Vincent's, you know, which is, I mean, a big time, you know, athletic training facility. Um, so I get there and, and I've never had any kind of training at this level, you know, never really, really had no idea. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I... I was always going hard and I was always pushing myself, um, you know, but it's it's different, you know, when you're dealing with guys like Ed Chilling and some of the players that were coming in there, you know. So for the f for the first two weeks, every single day that I would get in there, um, you know, I felt my body breaking down. I felt myself breaking down. I felt like I was going to quit, you know, every single time, you know, where physically, you know, mentally and even emotionally, it was probably the most demanding thing that, that I've ever done. You know, to where, I mean, you get done with the ball handling workout uh, and just that, and that's almost like warm-up. You know, it feels like my arms are getting ready to fall off. You know, then you do a whole, you know, two hours of just running. Um, so, you know, after, but after two weeks, um, you know, what happened was something that, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it, it really, you know, gave me an epiphany in a lot of ways was I began to see my body just, just adapt, you know, and, and, assimilate and just absorb everything that was being thrown to me, you know, to where now I was coming in there and I wasn't getting tired anymore to where like I got to a point where just my physical fitness, I wasn't able to get tired. You know, my, my basketball skills were as about as sharp as they can ever be. And I got to a position where I can play with just about anybody, you know, and, and here I was, you know, in this place of no name, you know, and a lot of times you couldn't tell that these guys were on their way to, you know, the NBA draft, you know, and I don't even know what school I'm going to go to, you know. And for me, uh, it left a lot of salt in the way, you know, to where, it, 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 you know, it made me feel bad. You know, it made me feel somewhat cheated, you know. So all these different variables, man. And then not only that, just the, the, the money, you know, the fact that, you know, I was there because Ed Chilling was allowing me to intern, you know, and I was able to stay in Indiana because I had a friend that lived there. You know, the you, fact that it, it... You're you're like, you're like, wow. Yeah. Look at all these things that make a basketball player that I didn't know about. <laughs> right, 
Right. You know, so for me, you know, it kind of, it, it kind of put me in a position, man, where I really, I really felt, you know, I felt like the best thing that I can do was, was give a lot of what I know instead of, instead of trying to take that and make the most of it for myself instead of trying to pursue my own, you know, personal fulfillment through it. You know, I felt like the most value that I can, that I can really derive from being able to be in these experiences was bringing it back. You know, and, and one of the things that, that I did realize being there that I never really knew, you know, in Omaha was the fact that we're just we're just as good as anybody. You know, it's all about the work that you put in. Mm. You know, so coming back and being able to tell a kid like Ed as a sixth grader that, hey. Ed Chang. Yeah, you know, you can be top 10 in the country, you know, by the time you're a senior, if we put in the work right now, if we do these things. You know, telling a kid like Janouk, like, yo, you know, even as a seventh grader, you're one of the best players I know. Why not? You know, why can't you be the number one player in the country? And why can't you work towards becoming the number one player in the country? You know, these things. And I remember from the first time that I would tell these guys, I mean, they couldn't believe it. Their eyes would just open up, you know. And, and to them, they gravitated towards me because, you know, it was the first time that you had an adult around them that was acknowledging what they were craving, what they were hungry for inside of them. They just you know, needed some affirmation. They needed some affirmation, yeah. You know, this is this is naturally what they wanted, and they knew that they can do it. You know, so. So you came back. You played one more year at UNO. I, I didn't finish out at UNO. Okay. Um, you know, so I played about I want to say six games. Um, you know, and and it's a it's an unfortunate situation, but I ended up having to leave the team. Um, you know, I still don't feel too good about it, uh, just because. You know, I mean, Coach Hanson and those guys were, were unbelievable. Um, you know, but but it was one of those situations, man. One of the first reasons why I committed and went to, to Indiana State was to be away from Omaha, you know. And, you know, and a lot of the things that, you know, and one of the big reasons why I can do what I'm doing today is, you know, it's, I don't know what it is, man, but, there's just a lot, you know, about what we go through here that weighs really heavy on me, you know, personally. And there's a lot that my family go through that weighs really heavy on me. Uh, and when I'm in Omaha, even when I'm in high school, you know, and, and I know the importance of being able to focus, man. It's really hard to be in a space where you can focus on what you have to focus on without the world falling apart, you know, without all these different things going wrong. You know, so, you know, by the time I got to, 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 to UNO, uh, you know, at that time, I was in a position where, you know, a lot of things needed me, you know, to, to be available, you know, starting with my own family. My mom was really sick at that time. Um, and then UNO had a schedule where, you know, every day we were we were on the road, you know, we was never really here. Um, you know, and then not only that, you know, just, just it, it was just obvious that my life was just pulling me just completely somewhere else. Um, and it, it got to a point where I really wasn't, I wasn't present, you know, it felt like, you know, as much as I wanted to be, I couldn't be. So you, you quit? Um, yeah, you know, I asked to leave the team. And the biggest reason, you know, at that time, my mom was, um, she's fine now, but that at, at that time it was, it was presumed by the doctors that she had about four months. Uh, and she wasn't going to be able to, 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 to make it. Um, and nobody was really around. None of my older siblings at that time. Where it was just me. Um, so that that was the biggest reason. But that those were some of the causes where I can I can I mean I can I wasn't present. 
you know, and I was, you know, and I was, I was taking away more than I was adding, you know, to to the team and that chemistry. So you start soon after that, you kind of start the Omaha Talons. Yeah, it was somewhat already going, you know, even when I was at UNO, it just wasn't as formal. It, it just wasn't, it just didn't click, you know, that this was a real need, you know, that I need to put some serious attention to, you know, it just, it just, you know, at that time I was still focused on other things, you know, but it was, it was already happening, you know, we already had a group of guys that were already kind of taking the lead, you know, they just needed me to, to make sure I'm available to help them make it happen. But yeah, I think November of 2012 was when we started. And you started, you kind of devoted your, you've devoted the last five years to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, devoted the last five years to it, but it's, it's been unbelievable. Um, you know, obviously with anything, you know, anything that, that you're starting from the ground, there's challenges, you know, and, and I think there's a level of commitment that, that, you know, you have to earn it, you know, but, you know, as far as just the, uh, the rewards, man, as far as just the growth, you know, that I'm experiencing, you know, and, and, and what I'm learning, you know, and just what our community is coming into and, and the kind of young men, you know, that are coming out of our program and just what life is becoming for us, you know, from within. Um, I mean, it's something that I know, you know, it feels like we're just getting started, you know, it feels like we haven't, we haven't even scratched the How many kids you got? How many yet. kids you have? Um, right now we have 60. But we had to cut the number down, you know, from about a hundred and um, right around one hundred and seventy. Really you cut, cut from one hundred and seventy to sixty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, capacity. You know, we kind of have to. You know, we we kind of started out backwards, where you know we went out just trying to fill a need. You know, and as many kids as we can. Uh, and there's a lot of kids in this community. You know, but now it's it's being able to build the capacity to really, to really maximize, you know, the, the, what, what can really happen to kind of support and then build it out from there. You know, hopefully we can get to a place where, you know, we can even have facilities where we can have programming that can, you know, that can take on, you know, a hundred of kids, a number, number of kids that size. You could do it. You could do it with basketball only. Why do you choose to incorporate all the other stuff? <laughs> uh... I mean, you know, you could run a basketball club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a no-brainer, man. I feel like it makes sense, you know. And for me, you know, I get excited about the idea that, you know, that basketball, you know, infused with the right ideas, man, can be something that, you know, there can be a new kind of athlete that can project healthier qualities, man. You know, right now, I mean, I would say, you know, a lot of things, especially in the black community that we're assimilating, we're a part of. You know, there's a lot of things that, that culturally we struggle with because that I know, you know, that, that basketball can be a tool to, you know, even just encouraging, man, you know, standing up for, for, for big ideas, you know, togetherness and being all these different things. I know for a fact, man, that if we don't, if we don't recreate our culture ourselves, it's our culture right now, it's almost like it's, it's, it's. It needs to evolve, or else it's dying now. You know, we're we're potentially even in South Sudan right now. We're potentially. You can almost calculate if things keep going the way that they're going right now. You can almost calculate within our lifetime 
when we're going to be extinct because we're killing each other off right now. There's a, there's another war that's that's people are dying every single day. And a lot of it, it's because of the culture. It's not keeping up with the times. The black experience in America, man, is, is nowhere close to what it could be, if that makes sense. You know, it's nowhere close to what it could be. A lot of young people go through things that they should never have to go through. You know, and they go through things because the world is, in a lot of ways, it's both sides, man. A lot of it is because circumstances were already there, if that makes sense. You know, the numbers don't add up. You know, when you look at when you look at OPS and, we, and you just look at Omaha alone, we've had so many guys that were just unbelievable athletes, right? Great, great basketball players. How many guys have we had in our Omaha community qualify to, to a four-year school right away? When you look at the numbers, it doesn't add up. We've had more guys having to go JUCO, you know, having to go the extra route, you know, even though they got the talent because certain things, you know, aren't there. You know, a lot of these things are things that we have to be a lot more responsible for, you know, which is what I see. And for me, you know, if, if our community is going to say that basketball is something that we're going to do, you know, then... You know, I see it as an opportunity, you know, that, that we can not only ingrain ourselves into American culture, but we can grow ourselves, you know, and we can, we can encourage the right traits, man, you know, within our culture. It's important for a kid like Ed Chang to understand how much he can influence, you know, the next kid that's in fifth grade right now, you know, and it's important for a kid like Ed Chang to understand that it's not about him, you know, it, it, it's about him being in a position where he can give back, you know, and these are things, man, to where if we're going to, you know, and I push for more than basketball, man, because if, if, you know, one person doing it, man, really doesn't mean anything until we're all, you know, visibly doing it, you know, to where within 10 years, you know, the, the image of Sudanese people in America should be, you know, they got some incredible basketball players, you know, and, 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 and these guys are really determined and focused, you know, they're, they're on their stuff. It's a really successful community. You know, these guys are really independent. They're, you know, this, this and that. That should be the image, and that's what we're trying to create, you know. And and not of a not of a war torn country. Exactly, exactly. We're we're trying to create the future right now. You know, there it, there's a point, man, where where it's about you, and it's not really about anybody else. You know, if, if that makes sense. You know, to where like, you know, it's 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 your happiness. You know, it's 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 your life. You know, it's, it's your community, it's your people, it's your world, you know, whatever, it's your city. You know, to where, you know, we're in a position to where it's almost like we're, we're always on the defense, you know, in a way, you know, it's, 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 as a black community, if that makes sense. We're always almost feeling like the victim, which, you know, even if it is the case, it doesn't have to be. We don't have to accept that. You know, we don't have to be the victim, you know. And then not only that, you know, when you talk about the fact that you know, I walk into that gym and 100% of the kids, you know, the one thing that they're all aspiring and they all think that they're going to be is a basketball player. You know, or if they're not a basketball, they all they all want to fall off in, in, in some kind of entertainment. They all want to make rap music, you know, some of these things. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I mean, how can you have 100 different people all wanting to be the same thing? You know, and how can, be, how can this be the one thing that everybody's supposed to be? I just know, man, that the black experience globally, you know, we can be on our stuff a lot more. 
Um, you, you say that, and yet you went to Indianapolis, and you had a you had an epiphany about what all the variables, the importance of variables yeah. in building a basketball player. Aren't those same variables important in building? Yeah, a strong community. Yeah, yeah, yeah they are. And, and those variables don't necessarily exist, right? Like you, right. you in the same way that you were trying to be a basketball player right. without nutrition and weight training and somebody pushing you, isn't the same thing true of trying to raise kids? Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's very true. It's uh it's really easy, you know, to 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 be a victim of your circumstances. You know, it's really easy to say, "Oh, you know, I'm a refugee, you know, I don't have this, you know, I don't have that, you know, have pity on me, you know, and this, this and that, you know, or, you know, it's real easy to say that, hey, you know, they don't like me, you know, they don't want me to be successful, you know, they're not supporting me, you know, this, this and that. It, it, it's real easy, you know, and, and I would say, you know, for black people everywhere, man, I mean, there, there's a hundred different reasons of why we can make excuses and give ourselves a reason why you know, why things shouldn't be, you know, why things are hard or why things are the way that they are, you know, but, but I feel like until you get to a seat where you realize that, you know, at least that track to be able to figure it out, it all starts with you. A lot of these things aren't there, but it, the, the, the variables, yeah, the variables, they aren't there, but they're not going to be there until we do something about it, you know, and for, in other words, you know, to where it's, 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 you know, I mean, it's, they're not there, but that's a given, you know, they haven't been there for a while. You know, but how do you how do you build the culture without the variables? Like, I mean, we're how do you, how do you build the culture without, you know, schools, top notch schools, and nutrition and committed parents? And, yeah, well, and all these things. <laughs> well, I mean, we we've seen it over and over again, man. To where at least for me, at the end of the day, you know, everything comes down to people. It just seems like you're trying to like reach the goal. I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. No, but but honestly, though, that's a great question, man. Honestly, for me, everything comes down to people, man. It comes down to people. You know, we've never had anything, you know, as Sassoudanese people. But because we never had anything, you know, we've realized, I mean, me personally, I've, I've, I've you know, went through enough experiences to where I realized that you don't need much to accomplish what you need to accomplish, right? You know, to where really our focus isn't on the variables. Really, that's not my focus. My focus is right now we're on the ground of we want to breed the right mindset. Mm. You know, to where our biggest focus is getting these guys in one space, you know, that we can actually kind of nurture, man, and pull out. I think there's something incredible, you know, that's really special within every human being. You know, and, and for me... I got a chance to where my experience allowed me to tap into that within myself, you know, to where it's a feeling that I know, you know, there, there's, you know, it's like, you know, fate the size of, of a mustard seed, man, you can move mountains, you know, there's something within us that if you can just see it and know it about yourself, you can get to a space where you know whatever is in front of you, you're more than capable of making it happen. You're trying to gather committed people together and give them leadership and foster determination. We're trying to find that beast, you know, we're trying to nurture that monster, you know, within some of these kids. We're trying to, trying to, you know, there's something within us, man, that, that just, it transcends everything. You know, we're trying to put them in a position where, you know, mentally within themselves, you know, it's, it's, 
they can be interdependent. It's not wherever they're at, they're the influencer of their environment. You know, they're the ones that are gonna be strong enough within themselves and secure enough to be that light and make some of these variables available, you know, and, 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 and turn some of these circumstances around, you know, if that makes sense. Because you hear the excuses all the time. I mean, it's very clear in our conversation <laughs> that you're tired of the excuses. I mean, all the time, you know, all the time. They're there, you know, and they're obvious, you know, but they're not gonna help, you know, anybody. You know, they're not gonna change anything. Last thing, y you are, You've spoken very specifically about your community, yeah. your culture, yeah. the South South Sudanese people. Yeah. You don't have to do it that way. I mean, you could. Yeah. You could mentor black kids across Omaha. Yeah. And I know you do, but yeah. you you could you could branch out and assimilate yeah. uh, in a different way. Yeah. Why are you as concentrated on yeah. the South Sudanese community as you are? Um, you know. Do you feel a responsibility to that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I that's a great question. Um, I do. You know, I think I think there's there's multiple layers. You know, to where, you know, I do focus on that. You know, because of of you know the fact that I know. Just within our story of Sudanese, I know how important this community is, and I know how important it is for us to have an identity, you know, that we can hold on to and that we can create. Um, that's one piece. And then the second piece is that when it comes to just me as, as a citizen of Omaha, Nebraska, you know, it, it's, it's the bigger picture is something that you always have to chip away, you know, one stage at a time, one bite at a time, you know, to where the Sudanese community, you know, because of my relationship to it, a lot of these guys, it, it's the easiest place to, to start. And then... You have credibility. Exactly. And you have access. Yeah, and personal relationships. Uh, and then, you know, really this is the next phase that we're going with it, you know, to where, I mean, we have to understand, even though we are South Sudanese, we've been in Omaha for 20 plus years. Omaha's home to me. You know, I'm never going to live in back in South Sudan. This is, you know, this is home to me more than anything to where for me, if we're going to be here, you know, and one of the key ingredients of being American is being able to infuse yourself into American culture, you know, and being able to, you know, it's almost like this exchange, man, where I can, you know, go down the street and have Chinese food for lunch, you know, and even different ideas and all these different things. Me personally, uh, I know for a fact that not only do we see life very, very different, but we almost experience it in, in, a, in, a, in a different way, if that makes sense. Nope. It's it's we're gonna get to it down the line, but there's a lot of things that that we do as a people and, and the way that we move as a people, and even the fact that, you know, my community can be so supportive of me, you know, there's something there, man, that I want. I want Omaha, and a lot of the young people within it. I want them to be in a position, man, where they're gravitating towards a lot of our guys because of what they're gonna be able to learn. Okay. You know, I want them to, I want them to be interested in, man, you know, look at what these guys got going on. You know, look at how, you know, look at how, look at, look at the brotherhood. You know, look at how much these guys care about each other. Look at how much these, these kids are supported. And here's the biggest thing, man. American culture is very, very individualistic. You know, it's very, it's very alone. You know, a lot of these people out here, you know, and, and even, you know, a lot of the adults, a lot of these kids out here, even though the support is there, they're going through what they're going through alone. 
You know, they're not, they're not, they don't feel like they're a part of something. They don't feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. They don't talk to their neighbors. Exactly. You want to shape Omaha rather than Omaha shaping you. Um, well, Omaha has already shaped me. That's a given. Right. But, yeah, that's but, a given. But, but you, yeah. I think, I think you Omaha. Want, you want assimilation to, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, mean this in a negative way. You want assimilation to go both ways. I think life can be a lot more enriching, man. I think we cheat ourselves, you know, and being able to, to experience a lot of different things. But there's an expectation that when you come here, yeah. you will assimilate to American culture. And you might have, you might maintain some things. Yeah. But you're basically going to try to blend in, okay? And, yeah. and what you want is yeah. you want the 98% yeah. to look at the 2% and say... Wow, I like what they're doing, and we should be a little more like that. Uh, in a way, but but listen though. So so, you know, I, I think that's always the expectations. You know that that you know you come over and then you do assimilate. But I mean, when you really look at it, man, like it's it's that's the expectations. But you know, in essence, man, what what always happens? It's it's America is the one place where there's individuality. You know, as a group, as a person, you know, you actually have the chance to where you can be yourself. You know, and all these different groups, whether it was the Italians, whether it was the Irish, you know, the Jewish, you know, just about every pocket of immigrant, you know, that came, they always had to battle with that. You know, they always had to fight for 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 their ideals. You know, and, and who they are, and they always got to a position where now, you know, some of their traits that that were able to transcend and become American, become visible. Now other people can begin to enjoy. You know, can begin to learn from and things like that. French fries, you know, and different things like that. To where even if it's just a that's the worst example you could have <laughs> thought of. If I was to take you to a Sudanese gathering right now. I mean, you would experience something that you probably never experienced in too many places. If you come to our gym, you know, just the just the energy and the way people relate to each other, and just the just the I mean, it'll be something, man, that you don't experience in too many places, you know. And what I'm saying is, I think the opportunity is there, you know. And I would like to see it happen, you know, that we can all, you know, take this step together of just kind of pieces, man. You know, there's a lot that we're taking from American culture right now, and I can't even say what American culture is. There's so many different parts, you know, but there's a lot right now. And when I say we're changing our culture, there's a lot that I'm taking from American culture and we're taking from American culture that we're saying that, hey, our culture has to, it has to incorporate these. It has to catch up and we have to leave some of these things behind, you know, and that's a part of it. And that's a part of once we get that, we need to translate that back home, you know, because it's going to help out back home. Yeah. You want to put your stamp on America. We want to be a part of America, yeah. We want to be a very, very visible part of America, man. We want to be, we want to be, yeah, we do. You know, and we want to be able to, man, and the one thing that you like about it with America, it's one of those things that, you know, if you do well in America and you do your stuff and become really good at what you do in America, you're touching the whole world. You know, and the last thing that we want is just security, man. We just want to be secure. We just want to be in a position where, you know, where, you know, the world isn't something that we're just putting up with, but we're actually living in it. You know, we're actually secure. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, thanks, thanks a lot, thanks, man. man. I, I wasn't expecting it to be, um, you know, about about the journey, you know, stuff like that. So I do appreciate that, man. And I, I don't get too many time to. You, you were know, a little reluctant to talk about your childhood. 
I never have, man. You know, and I never, you know, and, and talking about myself, I always feel weird. And this is this just something, you know, with me, you know, that that it's just a comfort level, man. Um, that I, I've I've never talked about it much, and then everybody that I know, they kind of all are in the same picture, you know, the way we don't really talk about it as much as well, you know, it's something that's just kind of behind us. So. But there's a sense of, am I characterizing it correctly that there's a sense of, hey, this has got to stop defining who we are. Yeah, man, the world, the world is really, it, it's almost like the world isn't set up for us to, to be us yet, if that makes sense. You know, I feel like the way that we've been defined and labeled, you know, it's something that we definitely got to get away from, man. And we got to get to the point where we realize that everybody's just people. You know, it's not really about where you come from. It's about what you do with it. You know, to where right now, man, I mean, there's this, uh, there's a there's a complex, you know, that, and I see it within these guys and these, you know, and that's why I'm conscious, man, of, of you know, the best way to begin to get rid of these things because they elevate everybody. They see everybody up here and they see themselves down here. You know, and these are things that the world has been feeding us. For me, my struggle as a player to this day was my confidence. It wasn't my game. It was my confidence and my sense of security. You know, and, and the fact that when I got on this floor, even if I was better than somebody, their skin complexion, you know, in my mind, even just in my subconscious, made me feel like they were better than me, if that makes sense. You know, the crowd, you know, even though it's just basketball, something that I play for every day, you know, making them feel like they're judging me, you know, with these, these different things, you know, they, they got their eye on me and different things like that. You know, insecurities, but they're there for a reason. Well, um, but, and it makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, when you grow up, when you spend the first nine years of your life in a refugee camp, yeah, that insecurity makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then it's one of those things too, man. Like even as much as we fight and as much as we're we're, we're doing everything to be at the top of our game, we're learning a lot. It's like even when these accomplishments do happen, it's almost like even like like right now, for example, right? You know, and this is a bad example, but this is you know it's it's honest. Right now, for example, for the Omaha Talons, right? We've been around four years, um, you know, and, and we're just barely, barely scratching the surface, you know, of what we can really do. But it's obvious that we're actually going somewhere. But I swear to God, we have not, we haven't done anything. You know, we haven't even got close to where we can really have a concrete plan yet because we haven't, you know, it's been all about building a foundation, you know. But there's been an, a number of times, I mean, you're talking about, you know, different writers and different, you know, sports documentaries and all these different things where you get the impression, this is how I read a lot of things, where people are just almost like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe that they were able to really, you know, how are they, how is this guy, you know, that's, that's a refugee able to, you know, how are they able to be so good at basketball when it's them doing it? You know, they don't have, it's almost like the South Sudan National Basketball Team, for example, you know, got a guy that, you know, it wasn't supposed to happen, but a guy named Jerry Steele, you know, who spent most of his life as an attorney, you know, really no coaching history, you know, and this is the guy that's all of a sudden in charge of becoming, coaching one of the most talent-rich basketball countries in the whole world. And he's not nowhere close to even being in grand. I'm, I'm more of a basketball guy than he is, you know, to where, like, it's almost like we're, we're undermined, man, in everything that we do. But not only that, it got to the point where we've accepted it and we undermine ourselves. 
you know, and we can either choose to just play out that story role and almost play our position, you know, and accept that to be fact, even if it's just subconscious, you know, because externally we're always fighting it, right? You know, you see it all the time. You see all kind of kids in the school system. They have a problem with authority because of how these teachers treat them. You know, they treat them like they're supposed to be stupid. You know, like they're not supposed to know anything when they know something. They have a hard time fighting and they fight these different things that are pushing on them, but they really don't know that these are things in their subconscious mind, you know, that even themselves, they believe it to be fact, you know? It's an, it's, it's an inferiority complex. Right? Exactly. That's, yeah. That's imposed on them. Yeah. Yeah. To the point where we accept it. It's not, it's not natural. It's not natural. No. It's imposed. Yeah. It's imposing. The kids don't have it. It's really it's really from the adults. The kids don't have it. The kids are fighting that every single day. They don't have it, but the older that they get, the more real and real they become. And that's what I'm trying to fight. I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to fan the other side. My chair, I look at your story and say, Oh man, what a great underdog yeah. story. Yeah. He's a lost boy of the Sudan yeah. and a refugee who came to America and he's doing great. Yeah. And you're saying even presented as that way, that imposes an inferiority complex that you're limited. In a way, yeah. But but here's the thing, though, man. Like it's 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 given, man. It's natural. You know, it makes sense. You know, and and I understand it. You know, and and really, it's true. You know, I mean that that's that's what that's what life is, and that's what life has shown us. You know, if that makes sense. You know, it's really just being aware of that. And trying to be conscious of how do you break out of that, you know, and, and really it's not about what other people think, you know, it's not really about what you think, like that's not the problem, I know. you know, the problem is it's, 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 it's me finally being in a position in a mental state where, you know, I can show you who you are to where now when you look at me and when you're talking at me, even if it's just me as Kwong, you're, you're now seeing me for who I feel like I am, you're now seeing a clear picture, you know, because I'm showing you and all these different things. You know, and a lot of these kids, man, and even the people in our community, it's, it's just shifting them into a space and a mental mindset where they can, instead of just, right now it's almost like they're at a battle. It's almost like they're spending all their energy trying to fight all these different things, these, these this, this complex that's being forced on them. Instead of, but what we need to do is we need to shift it to where they're in a space where they're able to build who they are, you know, to the point where, you know, now these 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 things just naturally dissolve because who they are is being clear and clear is being shown. You know, and people are gonna treat them differently. If if I go right now and I become the mayor of Omaha, it don't matter where I'm from, people are gonna retreat, treat me a certain way. You know, they're they're gonna recognize me as the mayor of Omaha. You know, and naturally it dissolves a lot of different things when people look at Sudanese people. It if you get a mayor of Omaha that's Sudanese naturally it's already just going to give us a different picture, you know? So for me, it's it's the focus has really just been on us and these kids, man, and just getting them to a place where they can almost have an armor, you know, against these things. When they're in the school system and these things are happening, they can know themselves well, well enough and their strength well enough that they're able to recognize it and it feeds them in a way where it's growth. Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. You can find our full library of podcasts at omaha.com slash podcasts. I encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. 
Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. If you have feedback on this episode or any others, please send me an email at dirk.chatelaine at owh.com. Sorry this one was so long. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.